Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. This week, we were lucky enough to be joined by current Wallaby and Queensland Reds captain, Liam Wright. In this exclusive interview, we discuss the new Super Rugby Australia competition, Liam's approach to captaincy, and the future of Australian rugby under Dave Rennie. Thank you for joining us, and if you like what we're doing, send us a review or give us a like on Facebook. That's enough talking for now, so let's get into the interview. And we now get to the next segment of the show, and we are super excited to have the Queensland Reds captain, Liam Wright, come on to the pod. So, Liam, how are you tonight? Well, very well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure, mate. Um, what does a Monday in the life of the Queensland Reds captain look like? Um, today was a pretty decent one. We had some, some gym testing and stuff, just pretty much a way to start off the week again. We'd um, usually have some teams to analyse and figure out what we're going to do for the week. But yep, yep. Um, as of late, it's, it's mainly been flogging, us, flogging ourselves with a bit of fitness. And, and uh, we're, we're doing a fair bit of contact training too at the moment just to get the bodies sort of back and adapted into into that sort of style and getting ready for games. So it's um, it's 100% just getting us ready for this for next week against the Tars. And is it and was, kind of like a, um, a new pre-season or a second pre-season? Yeah, yeah it's exactly what it is. It's um, We were really glad the first two weeks just to be back, to be honest, and, you know, didn't mind too much all the running and stuff. But I'll tell you what, I'm ready for games now. There's been a lot of running, contact, wrestling, all that sort of stuff going on. And, uh, so, yeah, I'm just about ready for games to start. Have you been watching much of the New Zealand competition now that that's started up? Yeah, I have. I've caught most of those games. They've been um, really impressive, actually. And uh, just good to have footy to watch again. Yeah, it's awesome. What were some of the things that, like, caught your eye watching the games? I mean, we've been chatting about it the last couple of weeks. But what, as a player, what was something that you took away from watching them? Um, the, one, the, big, the main one for me, and I'm sure a lot of people, is the breakdown penalties that's going on. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm sure they'll find a middle ground with that coming soon. And, you know, it's only been two weeks. But um, to me, just the way they've tried to shake up the breakdown has is, is been the major change I've noticed in the game. Uh, I think with them trying to be a bit stricter on how it's, how it's policed and that, it's, in, to me, it's probably made the game a little bit more stop-start. Okay. Um, with, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you boys have found the same. And, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they level that out and find a middle ground and keep because there's a lot of really good attacking rugby being played at the moment, especially in New Zealand. So uh, I, th- I think if they find a good middle ground with that, uh, as a flanker myself, I like the dark arts and the breakdown, so I sort of <laughs> like it to be a specialised thing. But, um, you know, there's lots of those, those pilfers and those penalties going around at the moment. So I think they'll, they'll find a little bit of a middle ground with that. But um, as long as it keeps the game flowing, then it should be all positive. Yeah, cool. And have you guys as a, as a team had any contact from the Australian rugby referees around how they're going to approach the new domestic comp? Yeah, a little bit. Not, not too much, to be honest. We've, uh, most of it's gone through the coaches and they filter that down to us. Um, you know, we've had a couple of refs in to help with just some internal sessions like that. Um, you know, there's a big um, sort of ref centre uh, training program at Ballymore. I mean, we've got guys like Nick Berry and stuff that do a lot there. Uh, so we've just sort of had them in for a couple of sessions and for scrums and stuff like that as well, just to keep a balance on it and make sure we're not, um, you know, we're practicing the right things that are going to be used in this comp. And uh, I think they're trying to 
get a hangover too. But what we really got out of them is um, is just the focus on the attacking breakdown, staying on their feet. You know, sometimes, and I think uh, the my understanding is the whole idea is to make the breakdown safer. You know, you got guys mm. lying in from all angles, you got head yeah. and shoulders exposed the whole time. Um, you know, which is pr- pretty good thing um, in the end. But it, it'll mainly be around the attacking guys staying on their feet yeah. and that defensive uh, player to really have a focus on actually trying to take the ball instead of um, instead of just, you know, going over and uh, possibly not supporting your body weight, which we've probably seen come into it a, a bit the last few years. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that we've been talking about over the last couple of rounds is the way in which um, there's a lot more danger when you play the ball out wide because it seems like the defensive teams have a bit more of a license. As soon as they get their hands on the ball and they're making a clear play at it, it seems the penalty gets blown in their favour really quickly. Um, Is there anything that the Reds are doing to try and... Because you've got a pretty young and mobile forward pack. Are you kind of licking your lips a little bit, thinking that you might have a pretty good chance in some of the wider avenues of the field to be getting a decent amount of turnovers? Yeah, I think we are, especially with uh, with our back row and, and our forward pack and even our centres out wide. Uh, we've got lots of guys like that who want to get on the ball. And it's something we actually worked on a lot in the, in the first preseason of this year was making sure that uh, we didn't just have the seven getting on the ball or something like that. We had all players sort of having that option so we could slow the ball down a lot more um, around the park and so that will be exciting I think uh, yeah the, the defence player definitely has if they're there early they probably have more rights to the ball now and definitely quicker you don't have to as much survive the clean out or what we've become used to now it's if you're getting on that ball and showing an opportunity that you're trying to take it and the guy's not letting you the refs are happy to give us that penalty which um, you know for a back row is pretty exciting to be honest so I'm looking forward to especially working with the other back rowers in our team you know like Wilson, Scotty, Fraser, I think um, we can really have a good good time out there and put some genuine pressure on that ball. With the changeover with the locking stocks, now that we know that Isaac Rodder and Harry Hawkins have moved on, you mentioned the back row there and you didn't have Lucan Sadakai Loco. Is he going to be moving across into the locks, do you think? Is that the most likely transition you guys will be making with there? Yeah, yeah, Lucan will be uh, pretty much joining that lock role for us now. Um, you know, just sort of a necessity and... It's somewhere he sort of played in in a, in, a, in amongst both roles. He played there against that Crusaders game that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really impressive, one of our top guys on the field. And uh, so I think he'll, um, it sort of naturally suits his game as well. He wants to touch the ball a lot more, which the locks tend to do in the modern game. And, and so I think he'll be really good there for us. Mitch, should we move into the regular Super Rugby season then? Because we had a few questions from the first, what was it, seven rounds of the season that we had? Yeah, yeah, seven rounds, yeah. Yeah, so um, in the regular season, the Reds were currently sitting two from five, or two or five from seven. While many of these were close defeats, what strategies were being discussed to turn those sort of defeats around and and hopefully get a few wins back on the board? Yeah, we um, yeah, it uh, it felt especially in those last two games like uh, we didn't feel two and five sort of thing. We we um, felt like we'd put in much better performances throughout the whole season, but we still weren't getting those wins. Uh, which is disappointing because our first three rounds, you know, um, it was a tough tour and everything and, and hard to win away as well, especially in Argentina and, and Johannesburg as well. So um, I think we, we we let slip those first three games, which was something we we, we wanted to start off with in, a, in winning ways. And uh, coming out of that, the main thing we found was that we weren't really adapting on the field to what they were putting to us. We... 
uh, stuck to our game plan quite well. And when that worked, it, it really came off. And so our main focus got into the into the, what would have been the bye. And, you know, with that Bulls game and everything, we tried to focus more on, on trying to adapt on the field. Uh, and that's why I think that Bulls game was just the perfect sort of crescendo for us. We were down... 19 nil, I think, um, and we had to actually adapt to what they we, we planned differently. We thought they'd try and be a typical ball South African team, yep. play through us really, really heavily through the forwards, and uh, they did the complete Blitz opposite. They, they, yep. Yeah, they just blitzed us out wide, and so we were. What we found on the field was we were too tight in our, you know, first five guys in the defensive line, which made it really hard for our other guys to get line speed up there for them to actually you know, keep all their men marked essentially. And and uh, they were just blitzing us out wide. And what was really impressive and positive for us was that we actually adapted to it and then went on to put, you know, 41 unanswered points. And um, mm. so I think if we keep that ability to adapt to what the team's actually playing in front of us and be smart footy players, that'll um, then our record for Super Rugby AU will be a lot better than that. Do you think that's a part of the growing maturity of the team? Because, I mean, I know you probably wouldn't want to talk about it as a media point, but you are a young team. And is that something that you just need more? As, as the team gets more experience, there'll be more people stepping up and saying, this isn't working and here's what we can be doing to change it? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Uh, you know, we're a young team, but at the end of the day, a lot of us have now gone into our third, fourth Super Rugby season. So we've eventually just got to pick that stuff up and... Mm and add it to our game. And, and that just does come with experience, with, with winning tight ones, with losing tight ones, um, but just figuring out how to do it yourselves on the field because the coaches won't be there. And, um, you know, as soon as it becomes player-led like that and we've got more guys who have the confidence and the knowledge as well, just out of what they've played, what they've felt, uh, then, yeah, we get more results like that and we keep turning those close losses into close wins or big wins and um, just you get more confidence out of that the whole time. I think um, that Bulls game, I'd kind of forgotten about it because the regular Super Rugby season is so long ago. But I remember just being so excited for the potential of the Reds because you showed it off particularly in a Sun-Wolves game. And then just going down 17-0 to the Bulls, it looked like it was going to be an absolute slaughter. But it was so wonderful to see you guys turn it around and just obviously have that understanding of what was going wrong. It was I mean, we, we love Australian rugby and it was just awesome to see the Reds show a lot of the promise and execute on the promise that you guys had demonstrated earlier in the season. Yeah, exactly. Well, we had that, that tour and, and didn't get the results. We, you know, against the Brumbies, we played a really poor game and we sort of took some confidence out of it going, um, you know, we got put to the sword a little by them and we only lost to a really good team by three points. Yeah. Then at the Lions and we were just our own worst enemy. We, you know, two yellow cards at once. Our scrum wall um, sort of just disappeared a bit and just let them through the game. Aguares, we wanted to fix on those two losses and come out and put in just an, probably the best 40 minutes we've played all all year and then just lost it again at halftime. We um, you know, had a few things go against us and like I said, we didn't adapt. They... Um, they got a few good calls and then and then suddenly they went to Maul and line out in Maul and they just got a penalty to the line and we which is why I say we had to adapt. So um yeah, that Sunwolves game, we really just wanted to put on a show and, and we knew it was coming really close. That's why we needed to just figure out how to win and then we thought it would kick us on to a few more. Um we probably 
the Sharks are a very good team, to be honest, especially this year, the way they were playing. They've introduced that sort of line speed, which was pretty typical of the South Africans at the World Cup as well, which can be really effective when done well. And, uh, I mean, then, you know, a week later, we go to Crusaders, we outscore them by tries, but we still found a way to lose. And so, uh, yeah, really whirlwind season so far. But then, yeah, to finish into that game, going into a bye, we... um. We're feeling pretty good for the second half of the season too, just, um, you know, given the way a lot of young guys had found their straps. We had some young guys playing really well, um, picking up vol experience too. We had guys like um, O'Connor and Spadey guiding us around as well, just like a few older heads that were just, um, you know, playing out of their skin as well. So we were excited for that second half, which was mostly Aussie teams as well. So we sort of got that in a new way now in this rugby AU. But with that new competition kicking off in a few weeks or just over two weeks, do you sort of view that now as a clean slate and forget what's happened for the rest of the year and just start fresh? Yeah, in a way, yeah. You, um, we want to still take our learnings out of it. We made sure to sort of do a fair, fair few big reviews during the, um, during the break and, and actually learn out of that, summarise our defence, our problems, our, our, what was working well for us. Same with the tack and uh, definitely a clean state. Like uh, you just, you can't carry on three months of that and trying to pick up where yeah. you left off. Yep. It's hard to do, but we wanted to take our learnings out of that and put it into this comp. One of the learning, I don't know if this is one of the learnings that you were talking about, but we were looking at the stats for the Reds um, in preparation for this chat. And you guys have scored the most points of any super team within a whole competition, but you were also within kind of the bottom four of points conceded as well. Uh, can we ask what was the chat around defensive systems and trying to shore up the defence to make sure that your attack isn't in a way being wasted by leaking tries and leaking points? Yeah, yeah. We, well, we found that especially when we put together good attacking plays, then our next player would go and be a really negative one. You know, often when we would score points, then we'd let them leak back in with a try or, or an easy three or something like that. And um, I think our actual defence, you know, Peter Ryan was really good for us. Um, you know, he's especially being like an old Bronco or um, Brumbies guy, really his impact at the tackle was really, really good. And I think that's what we saw when we were actually putting our systems into place was that we were making good good contact. Uh, and especially part of this group, which has been really impressive for me, has been that work off the ball for each other. It's quite a close group. We really want to, you know, help each other out, not disappoint each other sort of thing. So that our work off the ball, especially like that Crusaders game, you know, they made a few line breaks, but we often shut it down just by guys purely working hard for each other and things like that. So what we've... Uh, tried to seek now and in going into this new period is just a bit more clarity around our role and, and probably simplifying it because we probably just had guys trying to do too much sometimes and, and that's what let us down because, you know, as you said, you can score as many points as you want, but if you leak it all on the other side too, it's it's not going to get you very far. Mm. Mitch, over to you. Yeah, well, there's been a lot of talk in the media about the... Um the sort of the future of the Super Rugby competition and what it will look like in a sort of a post-COVID world. What do you think, as a player who's participated for the last sort of three years in the competition, do you think the current format will be sustainable going forward? Uh, the current format is in this Super so, Rugby AU or the... No, so we're looking more of the current Super Rugby. Pool. So the three, the three countries yeah. with the three pools and then travelling in between and... Yeah. Um, to be honest, probably probably not. Um, I really enjoy that sort of structure. Um, 
you know, I'm born in Durban, so I sort of really appreciate the way the South Africans play footy and it's yeah. also a completely different style to to the way the Aussies and the Kiwis usually play it. Yeah. Uh, and you've got, you know, the Sunwolves and um, the Jaguars as well that just offer completely different ways too. So it's I reckon it's one of the best comps in the world that's got going for it. It's you know, so many countries putting in a in a bit to it and but probably now in this post COVID situation, I think it's it's probably not not really sustainable. Uh, it's hard to say what'll actually happen with travel and and whatnot and especially, you know, Australia and New Zealand are actually doing relatively well with um COVID, whereas overseas it's a different story in some places. Really, yeah. But um feasibly i think you know after you know the way the financials and stuff have had to be changed in aussie rugby i think it's a lot easier for them to just keep it internal or trans tasman yeah. um, which is pretty exciting way to go as well so um, i really like the comp the way it is or was and you know having that south african teams especially in, in it but i think I think probably looking directly into the future, I think they'll probably look for a, a more local or trans-Tasman sort of comp. Now, I kind of just want to stick with the South Africa theme for a moment, knowing that you're from Durban originally. Um, just wanted to ask, when you first came across to Australia, assuming you were a bit rugby mad at that age, young age as well, was it the Springboks that you were initially aspiring to when you first kind of landed in Australia or was it the Wallabies that you were keen to push forward into? Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely the Springboks. I was just, yep. like you said, a rugby mad guy. I'd been brought up with mum and dad, just rugby lovers. And so we watched it all the time when we were, um, when I was growing up and, you know, we'd tape it and get up on a Sunday morning and dad would wake me up at five because he couldn't sleep because he wanted to watch the footy. <laughs> so I'd be up early just watching the games with him. And yeah, I definitely grew up uh, wanting that Springbok jersey. And it's just, you know, all my family's still there. So they go, uh, for the Springboks unless I'm sort of playing and um, but yeah it's just you know my dad idolised to a lot of the Springboks guys growing up you know my mum's brothers I think played with Bobby Skinstad the old Springboks captain and that's just who I grew up watching you know I watched Victor Madfield, Goldberger, guys like that um, and so yeah that was really what I wanted to be you know a rugby player coming out of South Africa that's you want to play for the Springboks but um once I sort of spent a bit of time, especially coming through the programs in Australia and um, especially once sort of my mates were starting to make it, I was like, I think it's time to make the change. And um, it was probably a bit forced at the start, but now I, now I love the Wallabies and, and what they're doing for Aussie rugby and, you know, seeing guys I've come through the programs with and gone to school with and stuff like that, pull on that jersey. It, yeah, it's incredibly proud to be a part of that. Oh, awesome. Mitch, we were talking about the Eden Park game earlier. Do you want to jump onto that? Yeah, so you made your um, official Wallabies debut last year. You had a, a cap before that with the uh, against the Barbarians in 2017. But yeah, we were just chatting before that you made your debut in Eden Park against the All Blacks. And that must have been one of the hardest places to make an international debut in world rugby. How'd you yeah. Find it? yeah, I imagine it would be. It was a probably not very expected at all. You know, I thought after the win they had, excuse me, the week before as well, I just thought they'd keep the same team and, and keep that charge in. So I was, uh, wasn't was really expecting it a bit. And I think once my name got pulled out in the team meeting, I sort of blacked out for the rest of it. I don't know, you know what happened <laughs> after that. But, um, but yeah, it was awesome. It, was, it wasn't 
uh, so daunting the place to play. It was, um, it was incredibly black there. You just had black jerseys everywhere. It was yeah. like, it was such a sight to see. But um, I, I didn't feel daunted by it. I think that's mainly due to the, a lot of the guys in that team uh, were just so confident and, and so prepared to go in there and just take the bladders low back. And and so you know, I had guys. I still distinctly remember James Slipper was talking to me, and he didn't go like, "Oh, you know, imagine if we'd win." He went, "How cool is it that you're going to make your debut when we win back the Bledisloe?" Like it was. <laughs> That's you know, awesome. Mind, the the belief was like so proper, and uh, obviously it wasn't to be. I was, you know, those guys put everything out there, and if you know, in a some sort of selfish way. It made my job a lot easier coming on. I probably got more minutes than I would have if it was a real tight contest or something like that. Yeah. And uh, there was nothing to lose. I just went on there and tried to, you know, make an impact in that 20, 25 minutes I got. So, uh, and I had family and friends there. And it's, yeah, just still an experience despite the result that you'll never forget. You know, debut for the Wallabies and, yeah, in Eden Park. It's, yeah, can't be scripted much, much better. Yeah, when we were chatting with Harry Johnson Holmes, he was saying that when he got his debut playing in South Africa, that he basically just ran on and like he was just kind of overwhelmed by it and just tried to be as energetic and help out as much as he could everywhere. Um, <laughs> were you able to kind of um, almost in a way like control yourself, push down on nerves and remember the game plan and the specific roles or were you just full of energy trying to do what you could wherever you could? Um, I was I was probably somewhere in between. Um, I know when I made my Reds debut, I came on and the first thing I did was slide into a line out, completely messed up the call. It was, uh, it was just so much going on in my head that I just I was like, "What's the call?" And they're like, "We just called it," and I just messed up my role. And I was like, pretty pretty keen not to do that again. So I made sure to settle myself down a bit. And um, you know, like you said, having that that sort of score line against you a bit, you sort of calm down and just go, all right, what can I actually do when I get on there? And they had all the pills. So I just tried to tackle and tackle and try and get in on that breakdown. And uh, so it was still frantic. Like it's a, it's a, it was a really hectic pace that um, that's what I noticed difference. The physicality was, was up there too, but you're also, you're getting whacked by the same guys at super rugby. It was more just the pace that the in and out of the breakdown, the um, they didn't waste much time just sitting around and wanted to try and play us off our feet a bit. So, um, that was really noticeable, and yeah, otherwise I just I tried to do that, go a bit frantic, and and find an impact wherever I could. But uh, it was sort of probably having learned from my Reds debut, and also just having that, um, you know, trying to make small impacts in the game instead of trying to make some huge play, uh, made it a bit simpler. Well, mate, we might shift across to some leadership style questions now because I'm really interested to get some of your insights about the just the concept of leadership in general because you became captain of the Reds at the age of 22. Is that correct? Yeah, yes. Yeah, cool. So basically, in that role, you're leading a bunch of Reds players, some of whom are younger, a bunch of whom are older, and you're competing against some of the best players in the world within the Super Rugby comp. Um, how have you kind of adjusted to the requirements of being a quality Reds player and now stepping into that role of captain, particularly when you've had really experienced players like James O'Connor and Henry Spate before he just got the new contract? Yeah, it was, um, you know, it wasn't something I focused too much on, to be honest, at the start and, and probably a bit naively. I thought it would, I didn't think it would change the way I operated or anything at all. And 
Um, that's sort of what I, when we went through actually a bit of a selection process for that this year, it was, um, it's just what I wanted, to, what I wanted it to be. It was, I didn't want it to change how I um, was around the boys or how I played on the field. It was more just, um, you know, trying to find a way to get the best out of the team. And, and um, I know one of your next questions will be, do you have sort of a leadership style? Um, it was, for me, it's always more sort of actions over words sort of thing, lead by example, and, uh, and just try to show the boys that I'm putting in everything I can to make this team um, better each day. And, and that's why I think it was, um, it wasn't too, too far off to, you know, have guys older than you in that squad, much more experienced, um, as long as I showed them that I was willing to put everything in. And, and I didn't try to dictate how, how I, you know, sort of spoke to the team or anything. I'd 100% use Henry and James all the time to say things that I think will be better received by them than from them than me, you know. Henry's one of those people where as soon as he talks, everyone's quiet. And um, so you, I'm just finding the right, um, the right ways and being emotionally intelligent and trying to get the best out of everyone. And sometimes that's going to come from me. Sometimes it'll come from um, an old head like Henry. And, and other times he just lets your game makers speak. And, um, you know, if, if I'm the one trying to say what our next kick should be, it sounds pretty stupid. So I, th I think I'll let James take it on, on those notes a lot of the time. And, uh, so it was still quite a bit of a learning curve, you know, trying to handle all the responsibilities and the media and everything. Um, it did get uh, probably a little um, where I felt it was weighing on me a bit, but um, I think as well the whole time I was learning how to deal with the referees and stuff like that. And, and so um, hopefully better for it. With the, with the, support that the Reds have shown you is that something that Brad Thorne has worked particularly closely with is there are there people that have very deliberately stepped alongside you maybe from say the coaching ranks and given you some tips and guidance on leadership qualities or is it something that they've just given you the freedom and the opportunity to learn and develop in yourself um, I think probably more the latter I think they um, you know I've, I've come through especially with Brad um, Paul Carrozza as well, who sort of I started this journey with in the under-20s and that and through NRC. Like, they've been with me a lot of the way as well. So they've sort of guided my development uh, throughout. And so um, I think a lot of the, the values and stuff that I sort of uh, pick up and try to put onto the boys is has been somewhat taught by those guys. I think that, uh, you know, they... And they're going to pick probably some... I was reading, I think it was Eddie Jones's book, the other day and he said often the the captain reflects the coach a little bit um probably a little bit. the other week as well <laughs> yeah yeah good read isn't it yeah I thought, great book. um and yeah so i think as well it's i've just must have resonated with him in some way we've been together for four or five years now yeah. um throughout all the programs and so um he's learned to trust me and likewise to trust him and and just i've sort of played under him for such a long time that he did have that trust to then let me um, put my own spin on it a bit. And um, I don't think I have too much of a spin to put on it really, but um, as well, just having someone that really resonates with the boys and, and yeah, I'm probably overcomplicating it. It's probably simple enough because then going, he's a decent enough bloke and a, not a half bad footy player. So there you go. But um, yeah, I try to, I try to read into it a bit like that and, and find ways to improve that leadership all the time. But at the end of the day, it comes down to, 
I guess just putting on that jersey and doing everything you can for it and trying to be some sort of example for the boys. Awesome. Mitch, any more leadership-based questions? Um, I just kind of wonder if, I don't know if this is a real thing, but is there kind of like a communication with Australian rugby around leadership amongst the different provinces? Like, are you in contact with the other captains and sort of, uh, I guess, encouraged and, and supported to build your leadership within the Australian environment? Uh, yeah, in a way, yeah. I think uh, probably not at the moment, not while we're all in our super yeah. franchises and stuff like that. But I, when I was in that, um, that Wallabies sort of set up uh, then the last year, um, they were 100% all building towards Australian rugby and there were no more franchises anymore. It was mm-hmm. um, here as a, to, to try and be an Australian Wallaby and, and to build towards um, winning that World Cup. So I think outside of that whole, you know, state be state sort of thing, everyone just wants Australian rugby to do really well. Um, you know, I'm not going to call, not going to call Simo or Hoops next week and, and ask for any advice on that or anything yeah, like that. Of course. So while we're in Super Rugby AU and stuff, it'll be quite yeah. separate. But uh, I think there's definitely that whole desire for everyone to, to see Super Rugby uh, turn into what it really can be and especially Australian rugby develop into to something really good again. Um, I mean, because, you know, as we've seen, people have um, people do have callings overseas and stuff. And uh, so, you know, people really want to be in Australian rugby for that reason, I think, and to see it develop into a beast again. And, uh, yeah, it's a great place to play. Yeah, cool. In previous pods with um, Harry, we were able to ask him about, I mean, because Mitch has played a fair bit of rugby before, but I'm just a rugby fan as opposed to a previous rugby player. So we got to ask him what the difference and the skill set between a loose head and a tight head prop was. And he just loved it because he got to talk about the dark arts and the props finally got some attention in a little bit of media. Um, So we wanted to talk to you about some of the differences within kind of the loose forward trio. Uh, There's often said that there are particular types of uh, particular differences between a blind side and open side flanker. And I wanted to just ask very, if you were to kind of just want to boil it down to the essentials, what is the difference between a blind side and open side flanker? Yeah. Um, historically, I guess the, the open side is usually smaller. Um, I know that they're, they're often lighter. You'll have your sort of bigger bulkier sort of six, eight, um, especially that blind side is more of, probably an enforcer role. Um, I think they're usually the guys you look on for a big hit or just a like a tough character in the middle where you just need to um, sort of settle everything down and, and stuff like that. Whereas sometimes your open side is is much more um, trying to stick his head in a rock, get, get that vital like sort of turnover, um, generally viewed as more of a workhorse, like just sort of has to have an engine that can get him all over the field. Um, I say traditionally because I'm obviously not your traditional seven. I'm a bit taller and stuff. And so that, um, that sort of often depends on your, your sort of combination in the back row as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you got guys who, I mean, you look at the, the sort of Wallabies back row, they had hoops there. Um, you've got Poey as well, who's quite a certain player as well, probably pretty similar to hoops, sort of workhorses, yeah. tackle all day. Poe's more of that sort of breakdown. Hoops can also be a, a lot wider and sort of linking, uh, which is why you sort of needed Luke Khan, uh at six. Guys like that got more height to add to the line out. Um, 
can do those big bollocking carries, especially in tight. Um, you'll usually find the, the sevens are probably smaller and faster, so they get in those linking channels, run really well off the nines and tens. So uh, it all depends on that sort of combination now, I think, and finding the right balance in that back row. Um, but I guess that's your, your, your basics on your blind side, open side. I, I think the simplest one is like your blind side's that big bully, your, your enforcer. Um, and your, your open sides, your sort of your jackal, your workhorse, just trying to get everywhere, put his head into everything, sort of thing. <laughs> and you did That's sort of go into it a little bit, um, but how much does the skill set of the individual players uh, depend on the composition of the backline trio or make up the composition? Yeah, I, I think it's it's massively important, especially in this sort of day and age. I, I don't think you get any more just like. Uh, put someone to six, someone to seven based on their weight or their height anymore. Yeah. Uh, I think 100% the skills that they bring into it is it, it makes or breaks that back row, which is often such a vital part of the team too. Um, like I know in, in NRC the last few years, we've sort of had um, myself, um, Scott Young and Caleb Timu as well was there for a long time. Will so's um, sort of been filling that role for us the last year. But it's like Scotty is that, uh, that sort of bully enforcer I talk about, he'll do the the big hits, like the shots on, the tough carries like that. Um, then in my sort of role, I had um, the breakdown, the line out, um, and just trying to sort of get everyone, make a few tackles and stuff like that. Whereas Caleb was much more the flair. He was, you know, had the offload, the running game, the attacking game. And so you can see how it all sort of balances up. We've got that defense, we've got the breakdown in set piece, we've got, um, the attacking and so I think you really do got to find a combination like that um, you know now we've got Wilson who's got that awesome attacking player that offload with guys like Scotty and, and Luke Khan who are you know want to do those big runs those tough carries those um, big hits and just sort of be everywhere in that tight action um, then you've got guys like probably like my Fraser and Fraser and myself um, who just want to chase that ball all day look for getting onto that ball for pill for opportunities um, my side is I've got the, the sort of the line out height, which will um, become pretty, you know, we'll have to determine the back row now as well um, for us, given we've lost a few locks. So yeah. that'll all depend, you know, if phrase plays, then we um, got to shift around in different areas to make up for, you know, a third line out option. Yep. Uh, and so it, it, that whole combination has actually become somewhat of a science now and, finding the best way to get yeah, sort of around the field. One of the things you were talking about there is how as the open side, you just love to chase the ball around and look for those moments to kind of pounce and try and get the turnover. What are, when, when you're on the field, you're chasing the ball, the rocks are forming in front of you. What are you looking for that determines whether or not you put your head down and make that move to try and get the turnover? Yeah, often I'm, I'm sort of looking for the quality of the tackle. Um, you know, defence coaches will hate to hear you say this, but you often get more pilfers when it's a bad tackle compared to a good one um, because the the attacker will fall further away from his team. It'll often be your tackler or somewhat be in the road, uh, which is what they're trying to clear out now in the in the New Zealand mm. comp. Yeah. Um, a big emphasis on that tackler. Um, and then often his support carriers will be a bit further away as well, so they're a bit more isolated and, um, you're just trying to sort of, it's it's tough on the go, but you're trying to read just sort of that isolation. You want them to to fall on the ball so that they can't do quick movements and put it away. You want their their supporting players to, 
to have missed it or to have not be there or um so there's a whole combination of factors sort of like that where you you're um you're looking for the right time to put your head in because you can put your head in every one but it'll often be ineffective and you'll get tired and stuff and yeah uh, so you're looking for those especially when you're sort of chasing and need a vital turnover um you might duck in and out of a few of them and then especially uh you'll see you know when the teams are trying to kill out the game and just do forward carry after forward carry um that's often a good time for your seven to pop up behind and and read sort of from the the halfback area not quite in the initial line and just read that tackle and try to make that jackal yeah i think i remember in, a, in the bulls game you had a couple of really decisive involvements um when in the, in the tail end of the first half one of them was a huge tackle to send one of their guys out over the sideline um, and then you had a couple of really key turnovers right on the edge of your defensive line. Um, so it seems like you're putting it into pretty good practice there. Um, Mitch, any any questions about kind of open side, blind side? No, nothing that comes to mind for me. Mate, I think you've covered it really well. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, we've gone through all of our particular questions. Mitch, was there anything in general that you wanted to be asking Liam? Um, you put me on the spot. No, yeah, not, have totally not really. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, um, oh, oh, you know what? Dave Rennie, we got a new Wallabies coach. And I was wondering, have you had much communication with Dave Rennie? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he's, uh, he's checked in. He checked in on us uh, for all the code break, went down, came out of training for a little bit. Um, and then most of it's been on the phone since then. Um, you know, he, he sounds like a really good guy. Seems like he knows what he wants in his um, in how he wants the Wallabies to play, which will be really interesting, I think. Um, but he's, he's been quite clear on just having guys that are working hard, especially over this break. Um, he thinks if you've got guys that are, are going to work like that, put their work rate forward, um, then you're set up basically to have, to have a better team. If you then instill those structures, if you've got guys working hard all over the park, it makes those structures seem a lot easier. And, and that's the big focus on that you know focusing on a little ways to get up off the ground quicker like instead of getting off one knee and then back up you're straight up and gives you the opportunity to get into that next that next involvement so um i haven't we haven't had too much to do with him he's i think he's over here now he's yep. um or will be over in the next few weeks but um he's been actually really good uh via zoom and everything and and whatsapp calls and um, checking in on on the players and and making sure that we weren't just um, wasting a wager in those pretty much three <laughs> months we were there and actually work on skill sets and um, as basic as that can be you know with with no footy clubs to train at off often um, just making sure we got the most out of it so he's been really enjoyable to work with so far. Cool, that's cool. awesome. Um, one of the things you said there was the way that he wants the Wallabies to play. Are you allowed to provide any insights on kind of a particular direction? Because we know that Michael Checker had this, I mean, we're going to put it in a layman's terms. You might express it differently as a pro, an actual professional player. But he had a really like fast-paced, abrasive game where he was trying to impose upon his style of gameplay with hard running forwards and then quick backline plays based on that forward momentum. Is there a particular way that you kind of are feeling like Dave Rennie is wanting to move in for the Wallabies? Um, to be honest, I, I'm not sure yet. We haven't delved into any details like that. Uh, at the moment, it's really been working on what we can control, which is sort of like our fitness, our skill set, stuff like that. So um, especially given into going into Super Rugby, you know, we won't be going straight into the Wallabies stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, it, there hasn't been too much focus or nothing put down my way of, <laughs> um, of attacking or defensive structures or anything like that. Um, I think um, given what um, I've, I've heard from his previous coaching and stuff, I think a lot of it will, will also be given he's a Kiwi coach as well be working on that transition and 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 utilizing that i know that's mm. what the kiwis do really well is yeah. they utilize that transition from attack to defense and a defense to attack and um you know if you're fit enough to do that then you'll actually get a lot more opportunity to score there and you know that's where a lot of your points come from so yeah definitely um, that's that's to be honest the main thing i've gotten out of him so far and um is having that ability to just keep turning it on and transitioning between the two and, and making them pay awesome, awesome. that sounds so good um, we're just super excited to see. We're, we've been so loving the return of rugby and um, rugby has been in a pretty precarious position in Australia over the last really four or five months. And so we're just so happy to have a rugby return in Super Rugby AU form, but then to see what happens with the Wallaby set up under Dave Rennie and the awesome team of coaches that he's got uh, is really, really exciting. So uh, I think we might call it there if that's all right with you guys mitch that all good on you yeah end? yeah definitely i think we've yeah, had a brilliant. good chat yeah so we're just again thank you so much for your time uh it's been it's really generous of you to come on and have a chat with us and to just talk through your love of rugby leadership flanking flanking all that stuff so thank you no i appreciate having me on thanks guys it was um it's really good to see just general rugby fans and looking forward to getting back as well so hopefully we'll um Beat out your tars next week. Yeah, go for it. They need a good thrashing. <laughs> they, they need a good thrashing. They didn't already have enough in the first part of the season. Yeah, give it to them. Give it to them. <laughs> Set them on a straight and narrow. That's what they need. Well, thanks again, mate. And yeah, have a good night. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. You can follow us on social media at the following outlets. Follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Send us a tweet at at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Or send us an email at pickanddriverugby at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have, so get in touch. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.